Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. We are, as usual, recording this on a Sunday. And because normally we record on a Sunday morning, we haven't been able to talk about a certain NFL team because our recording time is before kickoff time in the NFL. And as a result, we don't know whether said NFL team will win or lose between the recording time and the time that you guys get to listen to it. And as a result, we've been spared a certain podcaster's triumphalist rantings. But <laughs> this is the one week when you're in the clear, Eric. We know that the Philadelphia Eagles are in the Super Bowl. This is your chance. You have 60 seconds. Rant about your Eagles being in the big game starting now. Well, uh, you know, since you are a lifelong Patriots fan, Kieran, you, you can you can relate to what I'm feeling, which can be summed up with two little words, ho and hum. This is old hat now. You know, the Eagles just won a Super Bowl five years ago, and now they're back already and certain to win again. No biggie. Um, I am kidding, of course. Uh, but uh, but the combination of them having been to a couple of Super Bowls this century and how incredibly anticlimactic that NFC title game against the 49ers was. Mm. It was hard to muster up a ton of excitement in the moment a week ago, but now I'm getting excited and nervous, and I'll surely be more excited and more nervous a week from now. And it would just be so sweet if Andy Reid's knack for coming up small in the big game helps win the Eagles a Super Bowl after so many times helping the Eagles to not win a Super Bowl. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're definitely recording next week's show well before the game, I need at least a few hours of buffer to get into the zone. So so <laughs> next week, there will be no mention of it on the pod. So indeed, this is it. Go Birds! Indeed. indeed. Yes, yeah, so I was actually wondering like, how much of the storyline is the Eagles against Andy Reid and just how much sweeter it'll be for you guys if you do manage to beat him but, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's an interesting it's, thing big one. it's an interesting thing in that he's not in any way disliked here like right. uh, some of us felt he was overrated and disappoint had a disappointing run overall and that sort of thing but he's still he's still well liked in philly so there's no grudge there and i will just say i think that that storyline while big isn't going we're not getting hit over the head with it because we have the Kelsey brother versus Kelsey brother storyline to get over right. hit over the head with instead. Right. And then there's the whole saga of Patrick Mahomes ankle, I guess, which is Yes, there's that and Jalen Hurts his shoulder and uh first time uh two quarterbacks of color facing each other in the Super Bowl. So plenty of storylines to go around. All righty. Okay. Well, we've got plenty of boxing storylines to talk about as well, he says, mm -hmm. with one of his patented <laughs> segues. Well done. Um, this week on the podcast, we have a Showtime Championship Boxing triple header from the Alamodome in San Antonio to preview. Uh, we'll get some insights direct from one of the main event participants. 130-pound contender Oshaki Foster will join us ahead of his showdown with Ray Vargas. Also, we will cover the news. We will look at the March Showtime Boxing schedule. We'll play around at the fight game. And we'll see if I can fare nearly as well post-COVID as I did with with COVID. Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> uh, and Eric will give me my next top five challenge. Uh, but first, we have a few fights from this past weekend to discuss. And we start with the unexpected thriller on ESPN Friday night in Glendale, Arizona. Yeah, what, what a start to 2023 it's been as three weekends in a row now we've gotten fight of the year-ish fights. First, it was the last second KO by David Stevens on Showbox. Then Archer Betterbiev winning an action-packed fight against Anthony Yard. And on Friday, Emmanuel Navarrete got 
All He Wanted and More from Liam Wilson before rallying to win by ninth round KO. On the one hand, I was dead wrong, suggesting when this fight was signed that it was a hard mismatch. On the other hand, I did mention last week that Wilson may produce the effort of his life and Navarrete sometimes gives a flat performance, so perhaps it would look competitive. It went in that latter direction and then some. Navarrete looked fleshy at 130, got off to a slow and sloppy start, and Wilson hurt him in the fourth round with a counter left hook and put the Mexican down for the first official knockdown of his career. Shenanigans with the spitting out of the mouthpiece <laughs> followed. Navarrete survived, recovered, started to take over in round six, and early in the ninth, a right hand dropped a fading Wilson. The Aussie underdog wouldn't surrender, but eventually, at 157 of the round, ref Chris Flores had seen enough and stepped in. Kieran, give me your thoughts on the fight, on how impressed you were with Wilson, on how Navarrete looked to you, on how the post-knockdown mouthpiece situation was handled, and anything else you saw here. So normally, like when an underdog, especially a big underdog like Wilson, performs above expectations, I try to give them the credit, and I hate to avoid diminishing it by saying the favorite underperformed, but I do think a lot of what we saw on Friday night was down to Navarrete sort of underperforming than, than it was down to Wilson. I mean, he yeah. won, and he won by knockout, uh, and I thought he won the, the majority of the rounds before the end came, but... Yeah, he definitely looked more, more vulnerable than we're used to seeing him. You know, you used the words flat and fleshy, and I thought they were both they were both good, actually. Um, he did seem a, l- a little soft at 1.30, and he looked slow and tentative early on. And he, I, I think he just couldn't seem to get his range right. He was reaching an awful lot with his punches early on. And and although a lot of them landed from distance, he was, he was leaving space for Wilson to step inside and hammer him with short punches between his longer ones. And, and that's where Wilson really does deserve credit for not only seeing those openings, but going for them and taking advantage of them. Um, I wonder if this all hints that Navarrete might be in for a rougher ride at 130 than at 122 and 126, because... You know, at the lower weights, his physical advantages enabled him to get away with, with, with throwing those punches from, from long range. But, you know, against bigger, stronger guys, those advantages aren't always going to be there. Um, that said, he got his act together after the knockdown. Actually, I thought he was starting to get his act together before that. Um, and although he was still doing those long range punches, his feet were catching up to him when, when he threw those punches. At first, he was kind of leaving himself behind hmm. um, when he was throwing the punches. And so he was terribly off balance. But... He was then his feet moved forward as well, and so then he was in a position to continue punching once his momentum carried him in closer. Um, early on, that's where Wilton was, Wilson was beating him, but once Navarrete established himself at a closer range as well at a distance, he, he really took over, and and Wilson simply wasn't able to prevent Navarrete's punches from from landing. Um, immense credit to Wilson from outperforming expectations, but in the end, Navarrete's class told, and, and and I suspect he also had a bit of a wake up call that. Oh, 130 pounds, he's going to have to be prepared for absolutely everybody to be hit harder than he has been before and to come up against guys who are going to be able to withstand, you know, some of his hammer blows. And, and as for the thing with the mouthpiece, on the one hand, I, I give the referee credit in that he tried to get it going as soon as possible. He yes. didn't take him over to the corner, didn't get the mouthpiece rinsed out, just shoved it right back in his mouth. Um you know, I feel like this is becoming a little bit more common of a response to a knockdown. And it seems reasonable to not um, uh, penalize a fighter the first time. But I, I, I don't know if officials and commissions are going to have to have a think about this, if it is becoming like a go-to response uh, when you're knocked down to try to buy yourself some time. I'm not convinced that the referee could have done much better, maybe hurried it along a little bit quicker, but... Um, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of 
the amount of time that fighters are able to buy when they do that, Navarrete ended up on the short side of it, I think. Um, right. I don't know what you think about that or, or about the, the fight as a whole. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with uh, this question of, of Navarrete at this weight and the way his body looked. And, and, and I'm torn on whether this indicates that he has just simply moved up too far in weight to a weight class he doesn't belong in or whether he lacked the motivation to train his hardest, mm. especially after the opponent changed from Oscar Valdez to a guy he assumed would be an easy night at the office. Either way, his body did not look good. It kind of reminded me of Roberto Duran when he went up to like super middleweight. It was that mm. kind of fleshiness. And his punches were wild and sloppy also. As you said, his talent won out in the end that even if Wilson was better than we expected or or gave him credit for, he was limited enough that Navarrete could get away with everything and win. If indeed he was undertrained, as it appeared, hopefully lesson learned. And, you know, he should be reminded there's no rule against weighing 127 or 128 right at 130. You know, you don't have to use up every pound. Um, Yeah, the thing with the mouthpiece, I agree with you completely. I mean, it was a smart move if you can get away, away with it. And he was... I guess he was hurt, but clear-headed enough to think to do that and that the ref did the right thing by shoving it in instead of cleaning it off. You know, you spit it out on purpose. I think you're giving up the right to a clean mouthpiece. But this was so blatant that I think after the round, the ref should have penalized him a point. Again, not in the moment. Don't waste time. Uh, But but after the round, I would have liked to see a point taken away, but it would have been immaterial in the end. We got a knockout. So... um, I don't know. Uh, The ref did a good job overall and and good timing on the stoppage, I thought. And it gets hard to handicap a Navarrete-Valdez fight off of this. You know, Valdez would be favored over this particular Navarrete, I think. But I don't think we can count on seeing this Navarrete next time. I'm not sure. A damn fun fight, anyway. I would probably inch this into first place for fight of the year right now um everything from the fourth round until the end was exciting and and high drama it's still not quite a classic like i'm quite confident it won't hold up as fight of the year uh but but it was a real good one um on the undercard here uh mentioned a couple things not a ton to say but just that uh arnold barboza jr outpointed jose pedraza and uh it didn't feel quite as close as the scores clearly barboza won but it looks to me like pedraza has fully declined to Mm. gatekeeper status i think his last meaningful win is behind him and uh, also u.s olympic heavyweight richard torres improved to 5-0 with five knockouts with a first-round KO over James Bryant. I know Torres only has five pro fights, but already it's time to step the competition up a half-notch. He, he needs an opponent who can stand up to him and go a few rounds. I, I know he's only 23 and there's no rush, but he's, he's not learning anything in these fights. Agreed, agreed. Uh, you mentioned that you don't think Navarrete Wilson will hold up quite as fight of the year it almost wasn't fight of the weekend (laughs) um at at the hulu theater at madison square garden on saturday uh, amanda serrano had to go a tough extremely bloody 10 rounds to defeat erica cruz and unify all the women's featherweight belts while attention turned extremely quickly afterwards to serrano's rematch with katie taylor for the undisputed lightweight title set now for may 20th in ireland uh we probably shouldn't skip over serrano cruz entirely uh serrano won by scores of 98 92 twice and 97-93, after much blood was spilled, mostly by Cruz. Um, Eric, your thoughts on the extremely game effort of Cruz and of Serrano's performance uh, as she improved to 44-2-1? You know, I thought at times early on that Serrano was fighting the wrong fight, thinking, yeah, she should be using her legs and boxing and Cruz will barely be able to touch her. But I 
suspect Serrano saw an opponent with three KOs and 16 pro fights mm. and just had zero fear of getting hurt. So she stood and traded and still she did get the better of it in almost every round. I gave Cruz two rounds and one of them was very borderline. You could have scored this 99-91, mm-hmm. I think, sooner than the 97-93 card that one judge handed in. But there was that danger early that if the fight got stopped due to Cruz's cut on her scalp and went to the scorecards, that Serrano wasn't necessarily ahead through four or five. Um, but yeah, I'm left to wonder, was she a little more flat-footed because she's getting older or was it because she wanted to make it entertaining and wasn't concerned about Cruz's power? Maybe a little bit of both. Mm. Cruz has a stiff, awkward, aggressive style. She showed a lot of guts like Wilson against Navarrete. This was about the best she could do against this opponent. Although she wasn't taking advantage of an undertrained Serrano or anything. I was impressed with Erica Cruz. She's on that next tier of women's fighters right yeah. below the pound for pound elite. She's somewhere in that next group. Um, Serrano's performance is a, a little tougher to judge and grade. 34 years old, 47 fights, a lot of rounds. Uh, she's now gone the full 10 in five yeah. straight fights after having for a long time been a fighter more likely to win by KO than by decision. She got a hit a little more than we're used to against Cruz. Makes you wonder. Although this was Southpaw against Southpaw, so, you know, not a style matchup that Serrano is as used to. I'd say this was a, a B or B-minus Serrano performance. Solid. Not one of her best, but still enough to win convincingly against a good opponent. Um, yeah, not a lot else to say other than that it was fun. Um, I If it had been a little closer... Maybe it could be a fight of the year contender. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. quite uh, because it was so lopsided. The announced team may have oversold it a tad yep. in that regard. Um, but the ticket buying crowd at MSG definitely got its money's worth. Um, after the fight, things took a very scripted WWE-esque turn as the broadcast cut to a video package announcing Taylor Serrano 2. Then they came back and Taylor and Eddie Hearn were in the ring. It reminded me of Canelo Triple G getting announced in the ring after Canelo versus Chavez Jr. Marketing-wise, it makes sense to announce the fight this way. Sporting-wise, it diminishes an excellent fight like Serrano Cruz when you see something like this. In any case, Kieran, the rematch is on. Exact venue in Ireland, TBD, as we'll discuss in the news segment. Any sense, based on Serrano's performance versus Cruz, of who to favor in the rematch? Yeah, I'm not sure there's a tremendous amount to learn from this particular fight because Katie Taylor and Erica Cruz are extremely different fighters in terms of both style and skill. Um, you know, to sort of follow on from a point that, that you made, um, you know, about is Serrano fighting a certain way now because she's getting older, she's showing signs, of, uh, you know, of, of all those rounds that she's fought. You know, when she beat Sarah Mahfoud last time out, we, we talked about this. I mean, and we both wondered whether she'd maybe lost half a step or so. Right. Um, maybe even whether the fight with Taylor had taken a wee toll. But yeah. I thought she looked better to me here okay. than she did against Mahfoud. Um, I made the same note as you, that, that I thought that his own commentators were probably overpraising Cruz. And I saw perhaps as a consequence of that, there were plenty of folks on on social media following along who seemed to think that Cruz was winning a lot of the rounds, but I didn't see it that way. I saw it 
very similar way to you. Uh, I, I thought that Cruz was doing very well to be competitive in a lot of the rounds, but I struggled to find rounds to actually give her. Mm. Um, you know, her style was wild, as you mentioned, while Serrano always kept her composure, yeah. never lost her form. She kept doing what she does. She was always fighting compactly. She never seemed uncomfortable to me. Um, and yeah, I, I, same as you, I thought the scorecards were, were about right. And actually, when you're a very accomplished boxer, technically sound and experienced, facing off against someone like Cruz, who's so unconventional, who's absolutely teak tough, but who comes in a little bit head down, arm swinging, it could be a really difficult task. So yeah, I, I thought Serrano looked, looked, looked just fine. Um, and Cruz does deserve credit for being tough enough to make so many rounds close um, and for fighting on despite the obvious discomfort and stress she was experiencing yeah. um her corner on the other hand i don't know her corner didn't seem to yeah i mean <laughs> uh, um kevin cunningham tweeted something like boy a real shame they don't have any adrenaline in the corner to stop that cut <laughs> right. and some of that bleeding i mean yeah that's that's a whole different thing and, and all the more credit to cruz for doing as well as she did in, in, in that situation um and telling her corner but... to shut up and leave her alone <laughs> just shut up repeatedly right. let me get on with it right. um uh, you know as for what it means moving forward and and is there anything that we can learn about serrano like you, I thought I thought Serrano won against Katie Taylor the first time, although I think my scorecard, if I recall, was like a round or so closer than yours. Um, and I'm not offended by the fact that, that Taylor won on the official cards. Despite all of that, based on what we've seen since then, I think I'll make Taylor the favorite in the rematch. Mm. Uh, she took the best that Serrano had to offer. She had her nose bloodied. She had her bell rung. She was reeling on unsteady legs. And she came through it. And she came back and whatever you think about the final scorecard, I think, you know, we can all agree that Katie Taylor won the last few rounds of that fight. Um, and she'll be filled with the confidence that she can do it again, um, especially once again at lightweight, which is her way. And especially this time in front of her home fans, you know, and Ser Serrano against that will be aware she had Taylor where she wanted her. She couldn't finish her off. Officially, at least she took an L. And she'll know that the crowd will have been much more in her favor at, at MSG than it will be in Dublin. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have uh, plenty of time to speculate about what that rematch is going to look like. Uh, let's turn to the co-feature Saturday at Madison Square Garden. This was also a women's unified title fight that may have set up a big rematch to a close and controversial first fight. <laughs> now undisputed 130-pound champ Alicia Baumgartner knocked down Elham Mekaled twice in the third round and nearly forced the stoppage, but Mekaled survived to hear final scores of 99-89 twice and 98-90 go against her, potentially setting up Baumgartner Michaela Mayer too. That one isn't signed and sealed yet, but Mayer was ringside in a hot pink jacket, Baumgartner talks some trash about her while also becoming the first boxer I know of to note after a fight that she won despite being on her period. Uh, Kieran, I assume you'd rather talk boxing than feminine hygiene and such. So uh, give me your thoughts on this dominant win by Baumgartner and whether you expect we'll see the mayor rematch next. I will say one thing, um, and that's if a male boxer revealed afterwards he'd been bleeding from an orifice before and during the fight, um, we wouldn't hear the end of how much he'd sucked it up and soughed it out. Um, it's actually right. a genuinely significant factor that female athletes have to deal with, and it's kind of amazing to me, honestly. Um, especially when it's a sport where there's a good chance you're going to be bleeding from elsewhere as well. Right, um, as for uh, Lisa Baumgartner, the boxer, um, I am becoming more and more enamored and impressed with her with each outing. Um, she's a terrific personality, obviously, um, and a good, a good uh, face for the sport. 
but the, the way she fights, it, it's extremely fan friendly. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tremendous advertisement, I think, for for women's boxing and actually for boxing generally. She's clearly in phenomenal physical shape and and is very strong, which is how she's able to plant her feet and just torque into into punch after punch for really the duration of a fight. Uh, almost everything she throws uh, seems to be a power punch. Um, uh, even her jabs are power jabs, and you wonder if sometimes she could. You know, maybe dial that back just a wee bit because there were times definitely where she had to take a round off here and there just to catch her breath a, a, a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I'm extremely impressed with Alicia Baumgartner, uh, and I think that we may not have actually seen the best of her yet. You know, I think she's going to prove to be one of these fighters who gets better with the more success that they have. You know, what was the phrase that always used to be? You get x percent better once you're a champion or something right, right. And, and you have that confidence of being a champion and i think alicia baumgartner might be something like that and conversely i think she might have taken a wee bit of that confidence from michaela mayer last time even though michaela, michaela mayer thought she won that fight i have no idea if that fight's going to be next or not it feels like it probably is um it's a great fight for for both of them and you know to pick up i think on a point that that you brought up a couple of weeks ago Look at all the undisputed champions we have now in women's boxing and look at how ready like all the fighters in that top tier are to meet each other and mm-hmm. to rematch each other. Um, it's a terrific, terrific time for women's boxing that I think even just a few years ago we wouldn't have anticipated, to be honest. So, uh, you know, congratulations to all those fighters for, for really making the fights that we want to see. Yeah, and and let's uh, offer a few words of praise to uh, Mechaled, uh, who was game Absolutely. and tough as all hell. Amazing survival instincts when hurt. I really did not think she was going to make it out of that third round. So good for her for lasting the distance. And and I'm inclined not to be critical of Baumgartner for failing to finish her. She really was doing what she could to get her out of there. Absolutely. She, you know, needed to cruise here and there in spots to avoid totally punching herself out. But still, she hurt her again later in the fight. Um, Baumgartner is another one like Claressa Shields, who would probably have a much higher knockout rate with three minute rounds. Um, I found it interesting how confident commentator Jessica McCaskill was that Baumgartner will have a much easier time with Michaela Mayer the second time Mm. around. Maybe so. Um I guess I make Baumgartner the favorite, but I don't know. I, I can't see that fight being easy for either of them. Uh, but, Agreed. Uh, but along the lines of what you were saying, Baumgartner, is, she's such a talent. She has skill. She's explosive. She may be the most fluid female fighter in mm. the game, even ahead of Serrano at this point, possibly. And to echo what you were just saying, what an unbelievably fun stage we've reached with women's boxing. And my God, at 130 and 135 and thereabouts, just... So many great fights to be made. Bring on Taylor Serrano, too. Bring on Baumgartner Mayer, too. And then let let the winners fight if neither of those uh, mm. rematches leads, obviously, to a rubber match. Yeah, indeed. All right. Let's turn our attention to this upcoming weekend, uh, where the only major televised card will be on Showtime, Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, from the Alamodome in San Antonio. And the main event shares some characteristics with this past weekend's Navarrete-Wilson fight, as a championship-level featherweight from Mexico, Ray Vargas, moves up to 130 pounds to take on a dangerous but less proven opponent, Oshaki Foster, from Orange, Texas. Vargas is 36-0 with 22 KOs, has held belts at 122 and 126, and there's a vacant title on the line here, so he'll be trying to become a three-division belt holder. Uh, Foster is 19-2 with 11 KOs, but the two defeats came early on in his ninth and twelfth fights. He's since won nine in a row, 
and he's emerged as a genuine contender. We'll get to Foster shortly. But first, Eric, let me get your thoughts on, on Vargas. He's coming off a close win over Mark Magsayo, in which he suffered a knockdown. Um, we've commented on how he used to be an ugly fighter to watch, but has improved on that front. He's 32 now. He's moving up in weight. Where is Vargas in his evolution, do you think? Is he in his prime or perhaps past his absolute peak? Uh, give me your scouting report based on his two wins, both on Showtime since ending a long layoff in November 2021. I would say he appears still in his prime, but in the latter stages of it, uh, past his absolute peak in terms of ability to win, but getting better every time out from an entertainment perspective. Um, two fights ago, a shutout win over Leonardo Baez. It was by no means thrilling, but it was better than what we were used to out of Ray Vargas. I noted at the time that he seemed a little more intent on fighting offensively than had previously been the case and on trying not to ugly it up, although maybe he just felt <laughs> safe against the overmatched Baez. So he went from borderline unwatchable years ago to... You know, fine, okay, perfectly watchable against Baez. And then against Mark Magsayo last July, I don't know what happened, but Ray Vargas was in a legit, exciting, dramatic fight. Uh, maybe it was the style matchup. Maybe it was Magsayo forcing some thrills. But uh, I don't know. It seemed to me like a conscious decision by Vargas. Also should note, maybe since breaking his leg badly, which is why he was inactive for 28 months from 2019 to 2021, Maybe he can't move as much and as well as he used to. Whatever the reason, it was entertaining. And Vargas got a win over a very good opponent in Magsayo. His counterpunching limited Magsayo's offense a bit. Vargas got knocked down in the ninth round of that fight and seemed in real trouble, but rallied to win the last couple of rounds and eke out a close fight. So you asked where he is in his evolution. That's the right word. He is evolving as a fighter. He's tweaked his style. He's perhaps a tad less effective than he once was, but he's a much better TV fighter. He's getting a Showtime main event, and I'm not mad about it. Um, but, you know, he is a smaller guy moving up in weight against an opponent who has fought at higher weights than this, and he doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, Vargas has a remarkable streak going back to 2016 without a single fight ending early. Eight straight decision wins, one majority, one split, six unanimous. And... The thing I'll add stylistically that may play into this fight, I plan to ask Oshaki about it when we have him on shortly. Vargas is tall. Even as he keeps moving up in weight, 5'10 is still tall for a junior lightweight. So that creates some stylistic matchup questions. Uh, but speaking of Oshaki, uh, you get to break down Mr. Foster. He's not a newcomer to Showtime. He's fought four times on the network, but all on Showbox. Uh, he has since graduated beyond that prospect level. But he isn't nearly as proven as Vargas. He's beaten some good fighters, but nobody close to Vargas's stature. And he's been inactive, fought uh, once last March, once in 2020, and that's been it for the last three years. How huge a leap in class is this for the 29-year-old Foster? And what do you see as his strengths and weaknesses that could come into play against Ray Vargas? Oh, I think this is a huge leap up in class. Um, look, he's taken the zero from undefeated boxes before, including in two of those four showbox appearances you mentioned. Um, Probably his best win was his most recent one when he outpointed another previously undefeated fighter, uh, Mohamed Kudya Yakubov in Dubai. Wow, great pronunciation. <laughs> you sounded confident as you rattled that off. I spent an hour beforehand. <laughs> Time well spent. <laughs> Paid off. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think he's better than his 19-2 and record indicates. And, and as you mentioned, you know, those two defeats came 
relatively early in his career. Um, his strengths are that he is a smart, adaptable boxer in the ring. He can fight orthodox or southpaw, and he can switch it up in the course of a fight, depending on what works for him. He's especially good at mid-range. He's what I call a sort of action boxer puncher. He isn't an out-and-out slugger by any means, but nor is he a pure boxer. He throws nice, straight punches from a fairly high guard. He's always looking to do damage. He's compact fighter. He has nice footwork. He does fight in a fairly upright stance, and you do wonder if he could be vulnerable to someone with a bit of reach who's capable of throwing a good uppercut. Someone a little like Ray Vargas, in fact. Mm. Um, I think his biggest problem against Vargas is likely to be finding his way to that mid-range. You know, Vargas, as we know, is excellent at boxing at distance behind a good jab and he's even if he hasn't been doing it lately he knows how to turn a fight into a stinker if he has to that said mark mcsire was able to get to him and tag him and even as you mentioned drop him um foster can take some encouragement from that i think but i think he needs to keep his feet moving not allow himself to stand outside the edge of the pocket where vargas can jab him to death he needs to present a moving target not allow vargas to settle into a rhythm if he could be unpredictable, if he can move in and out, um, and if he can keep punching, I think he's got to have a fairly high out punch output, he can win this. The more that we see the more recent Ray Vargas than the classic Ray Vargas, the better it might be for Oshaki Foster, but uh, might be asking a lot, we shall see. Um, but one man who I suspect is fairly confident that Oshaki Foster is going to emerge victorious is the man himself. So let's <laughs> turn to him now. Um, making his fifth Showtime appearance, looking to extend his unbeaten run to 10 fights. He'll be entering the ring with a record of 19-2 and two with 11 KOs. He is indeed Oshaki Foster. Oshaki, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Hey, how you doing, man? <laughs> We're all right. Thanks for joining us. So you have a, a, a tough and tricky test in front of you next Saturday in the form of Ray Vargas, who I think it's safe to say that on paper he's the best opponent of your career. How much time have you spent studying his style, trying to figure him out? Have, have you watched a lot of video of him? Um, yeah, I, I watched. I watched. I feel like I watched a, a lot uh, enough that I need to know, you know, his his tendencies and, and what he like to do. Okay, would would you agree with my assessment that his style is is kind of tricky? He's not the most straightforward guy. Yeah, yeah, because you know most most Mexicans, you know, they 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 kind of. They got that Mexican style. He don't really. He got a different. You know, he he, he attacks and he he he's off the back foot. So yeah, I, I would agree. Okay, and and he's you know he's pretty tall for 130 pounds. His range gives people problems. I don't. I know you don't want to give away your whole strategy, but are you trying to? Are you planning to try to make it an inside fight? Is that part of what you're going to look to do? Uh, I fought. I fight. I fought guys his height. Um, the John Fernandez guy. Um, the guy from Costa Rica was like five ten. Um, I fought guys as height, but I've never had I've, I haven't had a problem with guys that height because most of the time my my arm length is, is longer than that. So his arm length on paper is six six nine, and mine is a seven two. So I, I don't feel like it'll be a problem. Okay. Um, what about yourself? Give us your assessment of yourself as a fighter. If somebody's tuning in to look at you for the first time, um, what would you say is your best quality in the ring? And and what's the thing you need to work on the most? I feel like my best quality is is my IQ, my uh, my boxing, my my thinking ability, uh, my me being able to adjust to any style. Um, I have speed. I have power. Uh, my power is underrated. I feel like. Um, that's that's about it. 
I, I feel like for this fight, I just needed to just sharpen up my tools. Uh, that's it. Um, that that's that's really it for me. I, I feel like you know, if I go in there and be myself, you know, it's gonna be a fun night for me. Do you like to, you know, you're talking about your boxing IQ. Are you the kind of guy who likes to go in there? Maybe, obviously, you like, as you said, you look at tapes of a guy, you prepare for a guy. But are you somebody who likes to maybe take a round or two, see what the guys bring into the table? Maybe not even mind giving away a round or two and then kind of settling into your plan as the fight evolves? Uh, it just depends. Um, my last fight, I gave around, I gave the first round away. Um but the, the fight before that with Roman, I ended up dropping him in the first round. So I think it just depends on, on my opponent uh, and, and what I need to do to adjust. I love, I love thinking. Uh, I love a challenge. So we'll just see. <laughs> so when Kieran introduced you, he, he mentioned uh, that you, you're on a winning streak. You're, you're undefeated over the last six years. You've won nine in a row. You did have two losses early in your career. They were both at 135 pounds. How much different does the weight make? Are you a significantly better fighter at 130 than at 135? Um, I wouldn't say that it was it was more of the weight. I would say it was more of my focus. Um, my focus, my dedication to the sport was totally different. Um, I sleep, breathe, sleep, think, breathe boxing uh, now. Um, I work harder than ever, you know, um, yeah, I just think it's my focus is different. So I, I in the future, I, I, I definitely want to go back to 135. I even want to push the 140 limit. So um, I don't, I don't feel like it was the weight. I feel like um, it was definitely my my focus, okay. and dedication so, to the sport. So, so you can probably tell we're a little bit older than you are, uh, and uh, yeah. so that's you know that's one of those things where you're one way in your early to mid twenties, and then you sort of is is it a maturity thing? You think that you sort of hit a point where you're like, I got to take my career more seriously. Yes, for sure, maturity. Um, just um, yeah, maturity most of all because I got away from you know the the bad the bad energy that I was around and everything like that. Also, the only thing that helped me make 130 is I, I stopped eating meat. Uh, red, I stopped eating red meat um, five years ago, um, mm. six years ago. So it helped me be able to shed that five extra five pounds. Mm. So um, that that that's where really what helped me get down. Ah, mm. well, you're you're currently talking to, uh, to uh, uh, Kieran is a vegetarian, and I'm a okay. pescatarian uh, who can't who's all lactose right, intolerant. Right. So you know we're we're both <laughs> off the red meat too. Right, right, yeah. So I I was a pescatarian uh, for the last five years. I just started eating um, poetry like a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I ran out of options. <laughs> <laughs> Need, needed a little more protein. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> So you're really interested. I don't think I've I've seen this with with someone quite like this before. You can fight either Southport or Orthodox. And of your last 12 fights, it's really interesting. Six were against lefties and six were against righties. So I'm curious, what stance do you prefer to fight from? And and do you prefer fighting lefties or righties or does it not make a difference to you? Um, The the stance I prefer fighting from, it it really, it just depends on my opponent, you know, my last fight, I seen that um, he he didn't do too good with Southpaw, so I fought that whole fight Southpaw, and with Roman, um, the fight before that, I fought that mostly uh, Orthodox. Um, I feel like I, I I'm I'm good on both sides. I just I just like the the different present different challenges to my opponent. 
Yeah, so it's really it is really a lot to do with 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 who you've got there in front of you and and how they they react to it. There's nothing that you feel physically more comfortable in in either stance or whatever. It's just really depends on what you got in front of you. Right, and um, which one do I prefer to fight? Um, it really it don't matter. A lot of people don't like fighting southpaws, but I grew up fighting. Um, we had a small well, we had a small gym, and I was in a small area. So my only sparring partner was a southpaw. So mm. I know how to fight southpaws, just like I know how to fight orthodox. Oh, yeah. So it, it really it don't matter to me. All right. So so just a straightforward question here: What would a win over Ray Vargas mean to you and your career right now? Oh, right now it would it would mean the world. Uh, you know. Uh, Going through what I went through, making history for for my city, for my family, just it'll mean the world, you know. Bringing a world title, just something that wouldn't even thought of five years ago, six years ago. Um, so, man, it's, it's 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 just one of them opportunities that I just don't want to let pass. Okay, and uh, you know, I I know this is a huge fight, and so like I said, you don't you don't want to don't want to look past it. You want to focus on it. But with that said. What is like the ultimate prize for you if you win this? Who's your dream opponent? Man, I used to I used to say Lomo was my dream opponent, but uh, you know, any any one of them guys that's 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 the four kings at at four at, at thirty five, uh, Shakur Haney, uh, Gavante, um, even Loma that that'll be that'll be a great you know great look. Um, Man, I just I just like the challenges, man. I like I like I want to see one of them guys. I want to see, uh, you know, who, whoever you know, whoever has the titles at the time, whoever has the biggest name at the time. That's who that's who I want to uh, have across the ring from. All right, but and and a, but a win over Ray Vargas, you feel would would insert you into that mix potentially? Yeah, I feel like I feel like um, I should I should get that respect and I should get that uh, that that notoriety like I. You know, so you're going to be fighting in your your native Texas for the first time in four years. What sort of atmosphere are you expecting? Do you think you're going to have a lot of friends and family there, or conversely, you know, Mexican fans tend to show up pretty good in in Texas? Are you a little bit expecting a, a pro Vargas crowd? What do you think it's going to be like? Uh, I feel like I'm gonna have a lot of family there, but I feel like the the Mexican fan base is definitely gonna uh, be big there. Uh, but I have no I have no problem with it. Uh, this journey back, I mean, this journey to this position, I've I've, I've had to go into to hostile territory. So, like I say all the time, man, I love I love stealing fans. I love I love you know when they come out, they come out roaring for their fighter, and then by the end of the night, they're very quiet. You know, so yeah. I, I I love it. You know, especially being an underdog, I like it. Right. I'm always curious, like how much in the ring you're aware of that you know obviously you're super focused then do you just get little hints of what the crowd is doing or are you able to hear enough that you're able to feed off it and respond to it oh man when i when i hear um you know how loud they get for them or if they're booing for me it, it just pumps me up like you know it's, it's time it's time for me to put on the show it's time for me to to to, to quiet the noise you know uh i like i like to to, to put my my dollars to rest <laughs> uh so so take us back to your beginnings in boxing uh, uh shaki how, how did you first get into the sport um just being a kid following my uh older cousins and uh friends to the gym we riding bicycles and 
it just happened like that. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to follow the older kids. And, and first, my uh, grandma and them, they, they was tripping by the day wouldn't let me go. But then, you know, they, they kind of let me get out of there. And, you know, we went up there. <laughs> how, how old were you at the time when you first, uh, first started boxing? I was eight years old. Okay. <laughs> All right. I can understand why, uh, why, why maybe uh, the, some of some of the elders uh, weren't so thrilled <laughs> about you uh, taking punches and giving punches at age eight. I can understand that. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was, uh, I mean, it, it, she wasn't just like, she just was like, you know, you got to ask your, ask your pops. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, after I kept asking her a couple of times, she just, you know, let me go. Okay. So, uh, when you first started getting into boxing, did you have particular fighters that you, that you idolized when you were younger or, or anyone that you would say you modeled your game after at all? So I used to, I used to watch a lot of guys. Um, I watched the Pacquiao. I remember watching the Pacquiao, um, Pacquiao, um, Mayweather, Roy Jones, um, Sweet Pea, mm. um, Guys like that was coming across HBO um, when I was a kid, so I used to catch their fights. Uh, Marquez when he fought Pacquiao, things like that. The first time, the first one. Uh, Eric Morales. I used to pay attention to all them guys when they they because they was all fighting each other around the time, and uh, yeah, them them guys. Yeah, I mean that was a a golden era. Those guys all fighting each other. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, you mentioning all the Loma Haney uh javante all the guys are around that weight that uh you know you're potentially about to insert yourself into into one of those eras as well yeah for sure you know i want to i want to be you know uh make my mark in this era you know uh try to get in the hall of fame you know uh things like that so finally give us a sense then of what you think is going to happen on february 11th what kind of fight are you expecting how easy how hard how does it end Man, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm gonna go out there and put on a show. Uh, I can't tell you the ending, you know, because you know I, I I don't like to predict those things. But you know, if I, if I can get them out of there, I will. Uh, but right now, I just I'm just focused on putting on a show with this. It's it's for one round or twelve rounds. You know, I'm I'm ready to do both. Uh, I just I just want to show the world that you know I'm one of them guys. You, you know, as like like we said at the beginning, it's, it's like a it's a, obviously a, a big fight for you, and 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 you know maybe he's your trickiest opponent. But you give me the impression that you're really looking forward to this, aren't you? You're feeling pretty good about this. Most definitely, uh, most definitely. Um, he's a two-time world champion coming up. Um, it's, it's it's no style that I haven't seen. Um, I've, I've I've had over two hundred amateur fights. I've, I've sparred with the best of them, and. I just feel like, you know, it's, it's the right time for me. Uh, I feel like it's, it's my coming out party. Fantastic. Hey, Oshaki, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you and all the best on February 11th, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our thanks again to Oshaki, or as he, has he said to us afterwards, uh, we get to call him Shock, which yes. is what his friends <laughs> So that's it. That was a, next time around, we'll be calling him Shock. So there you go. Uh, nice guy. I enjoy yeah. talking with him. Um, before we get into the rest of this card, let's stick with the main event then, and let's make our picks. Um, Eric, you currently lead eight points to seven, and it is your turn to pick first. So what do you think about Vargas and Foster? 
So these are both rangy, tricky fighters who can fight a few different ways. You don't know exactly what approach you're going to see from fight to fight or even round to round. Uh, one thing that worries me about our, our new friend Shock is he tends to pull straight back. He keeps his head <laughs> on that line and pulls straight back. And Vargas has the long looping punches to make him pay for that to the extent that the light hitting Vargas can make anyone pay. Um, but Foster has excellent speed and timing. He throws a sharp straight left hand when he's in the southpaw stance. He's certainly the bigger puncher in this matchup. Um, this is such a tough call. Yeah. My head is telling me Vargas is the sensible pick here. Um, he's never lost. He has a big edge in experience. My gut says otherwise. I do think Foster has turned a corner in his career this fight may be happening for him at the perfect time. Now, Vargas is the betting favorite. I looked it up. It's about a two-to-one kind of favorite. So the safe move would be to pick him. But I just think it's Foster's time. He has skill and power, and I think he has the explosiveness and quickness and determination to hand Vargas a close decision loss. I'm picking the slight underdog, our guy Shock. I'll say he scores a key knockdown, and that propels him to a win by split decision. All right. Um, this is a tough call, actually. I think when it was first made, I didn't think it was going to be a tough call. And then I sat down and looked some more to Shockey Foster and thought about it a little bit. Um, he is, I think, a very good boxer and an improving one. Um, he has versatility and smarts. He has good footwork and strong straight punches. But if there is a safe bet in boxing, as you mentioned, it is Ray Vargas to win a fight by decision. And much as I would like to see Foster pull the upset, it would still be an upset, as you mentioned. Um, look, there there have been some signs with the Magsaya fight that Vargas can be dragged into a brawl, that he can be touched, he can be hurt. It is, I made the same note, it is entirely possible that Foster is facing Vargas at just the right time, him, the, the right time for himself and the right time to be facing Vargas and, and at just the right weight as well. But as we've just talked about in this podcast, there are levels to this game. And I just think that Vargas might still have just that, maybe just that little level or half level above, above Foster. I, I actually wouldn't be surprised to see Oshaki starting quite well, starting quite brightly, um, winning a couple of early rounds. Vargas may be looking a little bit ragged, but I kind of have this feeling that if Vargas is able to get his timing right and his distance right, he might then start piling up some, some rounds uh, through the middle of the fight. I see maybe Foster finding ultimately a way through and having a good finish to make it close on the cars. But I think it won't quite be enough. He will absolutely prove that he belongs at this level. It might be another entertaining Ray Vargas fight, but it'll be a Vargas close unanimous decision. All right. And I, and I believe this is a repeat of our picks in the Magsayo fight. I think I... Went with the Maxio pick, and and you stuck with the uh, Vargas, and uh, and I paid the price for that that time. So I'm I'm going back to the well. We'll see if it costs me again, or if I uh, make you just up. Just got it in for Ray Vargas. <laughs> I guess so, or I just uh, am easily swayed by having just talked to a fighter that we liked, and I got a pick. Oh, him. I'm the same. It's like it's like whenever we would talk to Freddie Roach, we would we right. would absolutely completely dismantle his fighters' chances. Then Freddie would talk to us, and we'd think about flipping. Yeah, right. always. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, yeah, uh, impossible to know whether I would have picked Oshaki Foster <laughs> if he hadn't been our guest this week, but I did pick him. Indeed, indeed. Um, the co-feature is a 10-rounder in the welterweight division, a couple of familiar faces, San Antonio's own Mario Barrios, meeting Giovanni Santiago of Puerto Rico. 
best known for his hotly disputed decision loss to Adrian Broner in 2021. Barrios is 27 years old, 26-2 with 17 KOs, trying to snap a two-fight losing streak, uh, both of them exciting losses against top opposition, Javante Davis and Keith Thurman. He's back after a 12-month layoff with a new trainer, Bob Santos. Santiago is the older fighter at 33, brings a record of 14-2-1 with 10 knockouts, and also officially coming off two straight losses, the decision to Broner and a sixth-round stoppage against Gary Antoine Russell. Kieran, give me your quick thoughts on these fighters, and then make your pick. Tell me which of these boxers is going to end his two-fight losing streak. First of all, huge credits, both guys, for taking this fight. Um, You know, boxers tend to take a lot of stick when fans feel they're not stepping up to the plate or putting themselves at real risk, or as our friend Brian Campbell says, daring to be great. Um, The opposite side of that is that we ought to give them props when they put themselves and their records and their careers at risk like this. Someone is going to go three fights without a win, and that could be a tough hole to dig yourself out of. Um, And it will be especially rough for whoever finds himself in that position because of the circumstances of their respective two-fight losing streaks. Um, Barrios was undefeated when he took on Davis, and he fought extremely well for much of that contest um, until Davis really began to break through and break him down before ultimately stopping him. And it was Javante Davis, who's one of the best talents in the sport and who's sort of on the fringes of the top 10 pound-for-pound list. And his next loss was Keith Thurman, a man certainly past his best, but a very good welterweight who's got wins over other very good welterweights santiago like you said well he should have beaten um adrian bronner did beat bronner actually even if the scorecards didn't reflect it and there's no shame in losing to a guy who's now 16 and over 16 ko's that said i doubt that barrios would have allowed bronner to do well enough to even get close on the scorecards and as promising as russell is i think losing on points to thurman is as losses go a better result than being knocked out by by antoine um i think that Barrios has the higher upside still. He's still only 27, as you mentioned. I think that he's overall the better boxer. He can box from outside, and he can mix it up very well on the inside. He gets good leverage on his punches. He has the reach advantage slightly in this contest and the height advantage. And I think he's faced arguably the fractionally higher level of our position. That said, not only did he lose his last two, but two fights before Davis... He needed a 12th round knockdown uh, to avoid a highly controversial card against uh, Butcher Son Ahmedov, if you remember that fight. Right. It's possible he's just reached his limit. He, he's six foot tall, which is tall for 122, 130 pounder, which he was, and even for a lightweight, which he was, but less so for 140 pounder and certainly not for a welterweight. It's possible that some of his early career success came as a result of those physical advantages and that he doesn't quite have a high enough skill level to compensate for not having those advantages. Um, Santiago's game plan, I think, needs to be a little like Foster's or, or what I perceive Foster's game plan to need to be against Vargas. Get inside that barrier reach, but get himself in mid-range, fire straight punches and combinations. And if he can do that, he can maybe outwork and out-hustle Barrios and find his way to a decision when, but maybe because I'm still clinging to my feelings from a couple of years ago that Barrios has a really good career ahead of him, I'm... I'm going to stick with Barrios here. I, I'm going to pick him to just about get through this one. I think it'll be really tough for him. I, I'm not sure how good his, his confidence levels are, but I think he's ultimately just good enough, even if he's not really a, a welterweight. I think he's good enough to get past Santiago, but it will be close. You know what? It might just be a majority decision, which is going to be my pick. Barrios by majority decision. Okay, interesting. I, I didn't struggle as much with this one as, as you seem to have. I, I think it's got to be Barrios, unless... 
those two losses took more out of him than I realize. Uh, deserving to win a decision, arguably, over Adrian Broner, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Um, right. Barrios is just on a higher level. There, there are question marks, you know, whether he's already an old 27, as you said, whether he's gone up in weight past uh, where his best weight was, whether his problems with cuts and swellings will be a factor, how he'll mesh with new trainer Santos in their first fight together. But again, I, I just think there's at least a full level separating these two in talent. If Antoine Russell could dominate and stop Santiago's, mm-hmm. then, uh, then I think Barrios, maybe he won't be quite as dominant, but I think he'll be able to put enough offense together to earn a stoppage. Also, I'll actually go with Barrios by the same result that Gary Antoine Russell achieved, KO6. Um, and as for the opening bout, something quite different here. A couple of heavyweights who we've never seen before on Showtime. Uh, and this is also a 10-rounder. Lania Perro comes from Cuba and is now based in Miami. He's another Bob Santos-trained fighter. He's 30 years old, 8-0 with five KOs. He's a southpaw. Six, four and a half, fights around 240 pounds. He'll meet Victor Faust from Ukraine, but now based in Las Vegas. He's also 30 years old, 11 and 0 with seven KOs. Similar dimensions to Perro, 6'5", unusually weighs in the 230s. It's the first battle of unbeaten heavyweights on Showtime since Fury Wilder won. Although these two are clearly nowhere near that level yet. Uh, neither has faced great opposition in the pros. This could be a showbox main event, just as easy as an SCB opener. Uh, give us some insights on each of these guys and make your prediction. So I'll give you one fun fact about each. Uh, Pero is one half of an Olympic brother duo. Uh, Lenier fought in the 2016 Olympics and lost to Philip Ergovich. And his brother, Denier, fought in 2020 and lost to the aforementioned Richard Torres Jr. Uh, for Faust, his fun fact is a fun fight. Uh, just over a year ago, mm-hmm. Faust faced trial horse Iago Kaladze, and Faust put Kaladze down three times, but was dropped himself twice en route to a second-round TKO. They were each down at least once in each of the two rounds that the fight lasted. Um, Faust, uh, as you noted, he's from Ukraine. To see him, you might immediately think he's the third Klitschko brother, the, 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 ac- <laughs> the accident born like 15 years later, uh, the, the bonus Jonas <laughs> of the Klitschko family, kind of. Um, he throws a good straight one, too, very straight up European style, mm-hmm. can also deliver power in the hook, but he definitely has some defensive holes to shore up. You can counter over his jab. He, he just doesn't pull that jab back quickly and carefully. He's actually, the more I watched him, I started to think maybe he's more like Andrew Galata in size and style than the Klitschko's. Mm. Um, anyway, Pero is definitely the slicker boxer here. Uh, more fluid, southpaw. But he's not exactly defensively pristine. He can be hit. Um, this could be a very fun fight. I don't know if it can be Faust Kaladze level fun. Uh, not much can. But uh, this is a really interesting matchup. Pero should be able to outbox him, but Faust has that power. If he lands a bomb, it could be fight over. Pero, though, does one particular thing I love. He throws an excellent, consistent right hook to the body. I would expect that to help cause Faust to wear down. So my prediction here is a high-impact, fun fight. Both have moments. But if Pero can avoid running into Faust's best punch, I think he starts to get to him after a few rounds. I'm going Pero KO5. Um, yeah, it's you know you said this could be a showbox main event pick. Um, it's a little like making a showbox main event pick because there's not that much video of either guy to go on. True. Here. 
Um, and the notes I made are exactly the same as yours, you know, in a way they're sort of stereotypical examples of their different boxing nationalities, right? You know, Faust, like you said, straight up, ramrod jam, well-schooled, but not especially fluid, whereas Perro is much more fluid, much more loosey-goosey, a more relaxed and, and less predictable offense. Um, yes, we know Faust can crack, for example, from the way he disposed of Kaladze, but we know he can be cracked because of the way he was almost disposed of by Kaladze. Um, yeah, my suspicion here is that Perro's fast hands are going to land with greater frequency and impact. Um, although, like you said, it was it's also abundantly clear that while he's doing that, he could walk into some of those straight punches. Uh, I do think we might see a couple of knockdowns here on either side um, of, of different strengths. If this were a six or eight rounder, I would pick this to go the distance. Um, but I do think with these two guys, both hit reasonably hard, neither seems super keen on defense eventually something will happen i just think perro looks like he's the more natural guy in there i will take him to break through but i think it'll take him longer i'm gonna pick uh perro ko eight all right um so uh, as noted you're a point behind me in the picks competition uh for now but you're the unofficial champion at the moment of the fight game, having aced the last one in stunning fashion. Uh, I responded with a win on Clue 3 last week, which is solid, mm -hmm. but now it's your turn to see if you can somehow make lightning strike twice. Are you ready, Kieran? Mm, ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Uh, clue 1. This fight went the distance, snapping an eight-fight KO streak for the winner, who then followed it with a five-fight KO streak. I swear to God, if you happen to just nail this one out of the blue like you did last time, I will <laughs> I will assume that you have, like, hacked into my computer or something. Um, it's a little bit of a tough one to even throw a guess out because you're yeah. to come up with something that fits those exact parameters uh, isn't isn't easy. But uh, a fight that went the distance, where the the winner before and after um, was all was, was all it, KO wins. I'll I'll throw a wild guess out there. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Be something like Zelko Mavrovic, but uh, Lennox Lewis against yeah Zelko Mavrovic. That was the guy who went the distance. I right. can't remember if that, but I'll throw that out there. That was his name. That is not the fight here, and uh, I don't think I don't think Lennox quite had a KO streak. Uh, I don't exactly think so that long, either, but, but as reasonable uh, a guess off the top of your head as any. Okay, clue two. Either before, during, or after this fight. Both winner and loser spent time on the pound for pound list. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, as at now as I'm saying these clues out loud, I'm realizing this is probably harder to throw a guess out there through the first two clues than typical. Okay. I'm giving more information. Like, they're not vague clues. Right. There's a lot of information, right. but it's hard off the top of your head to think of a guess that fits these necessarily. And I, and I wonder if the uh, how much the third clue is even going to help now that I think about it. <laughs> it may. It may. You may get it. You could get it off the third clue. You're not getting it now. I'm, I'd, I'd be shocked I'm, if you did, I, but you're, you'd want to even I'm, not I'm, take a guess. I'm not. Is it somebody we've mentioned before? Is it, say, an Oscar De La Hoya, somebody like that? It, it is not. It is not an Oscar it De La Hoya. Okay. All, right. All right. Here's a clue that's going to bring it much more into focus and may lead you to the answer. Okay. That five-fight KO streak that followed, it's active. Oh. 
All right. So now I'll re- I'll re- I'll, I'll reread all the clues. Now that you have that, uh, this fight went the distance, snapping an eight-fight KO streak for the winner, who then followed it with a five-fight KO streak. Either before, during, or after this fight, both winner and loser spent time on the pound-for-pound list, and the five-fight KO streak is an active KO streak. So those are your three clues to this point. Uh, I, I have a feeling this is one where people are listening and like on their commute, people on the subway are looking at them because they're screaming the answer at me like I'm like I'm an idiot here. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you say that every time unless you get it in one. That's the only time. <laughs> Otherwise, that's you, you, no, I don't think so. I think this as I'm looking at my clues now, this is still tough. If you don't get it off the fourth clue, they might start screaming at you. So should I? I mean, it's up to you how much you help me along here. Should I infer you've talked about how before and after they were on the pound for pound list? Are they still on some pound for pound list? <laughs> wow, that was the extreme Kieran falsetto. <laughs> um, I will, okay, I'll give you a bonus third and a half clue and say okay. that uh, one of the two fighters, and you can probably, based on the result, uh, figure out which, which one it would be, whether winner or loser, is still on pound for pound list, is currently on pound for pound list. Uh, da, da, da. Let me think. Is it Bud? It is not. It is not Bud Crawford. It is not a Bud Crawford fight. So I'm going to move along to the fourth okay. clue, clue that I think I think you're going to get it. Okay. We'll see. This fight was named Ring Magazine and BWAA Fight of the Year, and Raskin and Mulvaney both named it Fight of the Year on this here podcast as well. I see. All right. So it's definitely been since... 2019 then right so if it was in this year um i'm trying to work my way back <laughs> um, so pound for pounders who were in the fight of the year who usually knock people out but not this time oh was it not was it in a way yes and nonito yes that is the fight ah. now in a, in a way w12 nonito denaire in or donaire uh, in their Indeed. first fight. Uh, and, oh, uh, Inoue has already had five KOs since then? Yep. Blimey. Yes, wow. he has. He doesn't mess around, does he? <laughs> he doesn't. Even with even with COVID interrupting uh, his momentum and every boxer's momentum, uh, this fight was November 2019, so shortly before COVID started. Uh, he's had five fights since then, all by KO. I just figured after uh, after I gave you Ali and Cleveland Williams last time, I wanted to mix it up with, <laughs> with the most recent fight that either of us has done yet, so I went with this one. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I almost thought about it in a way, and then I thought, I don't think he's had that many KOs since then, has he? But yeah, I guess when you just knock people over, you can just keep fighting. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, oh, and I guess I haven't read uh, what the fifth clue oh, would right. have been for those curious. It was the fight took place in Saitama, Japan, and streamed in the early morning hours ah, here in November okay. 2019. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would, have, would have got that. Uh, Inoue has 13 KOs in his last 14 fights. That's amazing. I don't yes. think I'd ever like sat down and thought about that. That's incredible. Yeah, I don't know that I realized it before sort of looking at his box rack once I decided this might be an interesting fight to do, and then, it, and then the clues kind of came to me as I was looking over his box but yeah, to be fighting championship level guys, championship fights yeah. one after another, and all but one of them end in KO, and the one that didn't 
you event not, not not avenged it because right. you won, but you went ahead and knocked that guy out in two rounds just a few fights later. It's uh yeah, he's good that Noah Anna way. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not he bad. Is, yeah, yeah, and that one guy who who extended the distance is a surefire Hall of Famer. So <laughs> yes. I mean, my goodness, yeah, that that's it's interesting actually. The things that I guess we kind of sort of know, but doesn't really settle into our consciousness until we sit down and do research or whatever and right. yeah and that that is actually quite remarkable as good as we acknowledge that he is i don't think i'd quite that I'd, I'd really thought about that but there you go yeah no good choice that all right well oh, you could you couldn't I do it twice kieran oh well no well no indeed that's what <laughs> but <said>. now <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna throw in a different comment but let's just end on that let's go to the next exactly. segment Let's do it. Let's go to the news. Um, our main event this week uh, concerns a pair of cards on Showtime in March as official announcements have been made and undercard slots are getting filled in. Um, first of all, uh, March 4th. We heard this was a possibility as soon as Stephen Fulton and the aforementioned Noya in a way became likely. Um, now it's officially on. Uh, Brandon Figueroa against Mark McSayo at £126. And on that undercard, uh, two middleweight 10-rounders, one pitting veteran Jarrett Hurd against up-and-comer uh, Armando Resendez, and one undefeated uh, prospects, uh, Amalcar Vidal and Elijah Garcia. That card will be at Toyota Arena in Ontario, California. And three weeks later, March 25th, on Showtime pay-per-view from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. We already knew the main event. David Benavides versus Caleb Plant. Uh, the undercard has not been formally announced yet, but last week's podcast guest, Dan Raphael, wrote that multiple sources have tipped him as to the three other bouts on the pay-per-view. Uh, they will be Cody Crowley versus Abel Ramos at welterweight, Abel's nephew, Jesus Ramos, in a battle of young unbeatens against Joey Spencer, and a lightweight bout between Chris Colbert and Jose Valenzuela. Again, none of these undercard fights are official, but Dan's reporting is very rarely wrong. Eric, what stands out to you among these additions to the schedule? So I, I really like the Benefides plant undercard a lot. Yeah. Uh, all competitive fights, no superstars, of course, but, uh, you know, th this is a pay-per-view main event that's mostly aimed at the hardcores, so they're putting mm -hmm. together an undercard for the hardcores. This isn't a Jake Paul pay-per-view where you put an ex-NFL player and a four-rounder on the undercard. This, this is a know-your-audience situation. Yeah. These are good fights for the hardcores, and Jesus Ramos versus Joey Spencer is the one that really stands out. 154-pounders, a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old figuring, all right, time to find out what I got and mm -hmm. uh, and go from prospect to contender all at once. I, I, I love that fight. Then we have Cody Crowley trying to keep his hot streak going. Chris Colbert trying to get back on track after mm -hmm. losing a year ago due to the Raskin and Mulvaney curse, uh, or <laughs> or maybe due to Hector Garcia being a lot better than anyone knew at the time. Um, anyway, excellent card from top to bottom, March 25th for the serious boxing fans. March 4th, I'm two-thirds sold on the card. I love the main event, Figueroa Magsayo. Mm -hmm. Don't see how that won't be an entertaining action fight. And I like the opener a lot, Vidal versus Garcia. Garcia is just 19 years old, and he's taking this step up. Mm -hmm. That's a good fight. Uh, you know, find out if maybe one of the two of them has a bright future. Herd Resendez is the one I'm less interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure how much Herd has left. Not sure that Resendez is all that good. But, you know, seven fights across these two cards. Yeah. If I'm really looking forward to six out of seven, I'd say that's good enough. Agreed. 
Um, we have a hodgepodge on the news undercard. Uh, one fight announcement. We mentioned this recently as in the works. Now it's officially on heavyweights. Joe Joyce and Zhang Jilei. They have a date, April 15th, and they have a site, Copper Box Arena in London. On the topic of fights on that side of the pond, we now know that Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano 2 will be May 20th in Ireland, a homecoming fight for Taylor. And she wanted it to be in front of a massive outdoor crowd at Croke Park in Dublin. But Matchroom's Eddie Hearn said it wouldn't be possible due to prohibitive costs associated with security at the venue. So Conor McGregor reached out to Hearn over Twitter with a let's talk and hinted that he could help sponsor the show and make it affordable. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Meanwhile, here in the U.S., Welterweight Blair the Flair Cobbs has suggested on multiple occasions that Virgil Ortiz Jr. uses PEDs, so Ortiz's team issued a cease and desist letter last weekend, and Cobbs quickly retracted all accusations and stated that Ortiz is, quote, a clean fighter and offered a public apology. Uh, And last item, very inside baseball here, but Evan Korn, who has worked for a while in the PR department at Top Rank, has joined the matchmaking department while former Golden Boy publicist Gabe Rivas is now on the top-ranked PR team. Uh, Kieran, anything worth commenting on here? Uh, not at great length. Um, I, I do like uh, Joyce Zhang, although given Joyce's tank-like qualities and Zhang's habit of fading late, I would fully expect uh, the Brits to run him over in the latter rounds of that contest. Um, as for the Taylor Serrano rematch location, from what I've read, and I have no idea how accurate this is, um, the security costs in question are sort of in the region of about £500,000, which is about $600,000. And you might think, well, that's enough for somebody like Eddie Hearn to eat, but that more than doubles the cost of the rental of the venue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I understand that you know, one would, would have pause about that. But, you know, you ideally, if you're going to have that Katie Taylor return to Ireland, you want it to be at the best venue possible. And yeah. Croke Park, I think, holds about 80,000 people. Um, but McGregor, were he to become involved, that could not only ease the financial burden and help make it happen, but it would add an extra element of, of hype and interest to the promotion, of course. I mean, yeah. As, as long as he can behave himself, uh, having him involved in, in some of the press there to, to hype the fight, just fantastic. And I think it'll be great for Katie Taylor and for the sport in Ireland and indeed the sport generally. So um, congratulations to both Gabe Rivas, who I think we've both enjoyed working with in the mm-hmm. past, the Golden Boy, uh, and to Evan, who is becoming a matchmaker or learning to become a matchmaker in the very best way, learning from the very best people in the business in the form of Bruce Tramper and Brad Goodman, who have just been consistently outstanding. Um, and as for Blair Clubs, you know, I don't know if he's earned the right to say anything about Virgil Ortiz, uh, let alone anything potentially libelous. So maybe this will be a lesson to him to uh, focus on his own career, actually, and his own business. And he can start mouthing off about Virgil Ortiz when he's in a position to challenge him, which at the moment he isn't. Yes, uh, well said. All right, uh, we finish the show with your next top five assignment, Kieran. Uh, so, So this idea occurred to me, and in a perfect world, I would have let it wait several more months but I couldn't come up with much of anything else this week. So I'm using it okay. now. It's Hall of Fame related. So so this okay. would have been a nice May or June kind of list. Uh, but, yeah, it's perfectly mm-hmm. fine for February, too. This year's induction class features three fighters in the modern category. They are, alphabetically, Tim Bradley, Carl Frotch, and Rafael Marquez. Having the resumes of all three to choose from, I want you to count down the top five that's why he's a Hall of Famer performances oh. produced by any of the three. 
Um, so on the wow. one hand, okay. on the one hand, it's kind of easy in that you only have three box rec pages to look over. You don't have to look all across boxing history. It's not wide open. And, and these are all fighters whose careers you followed closely. On the other hand, I think it's a tough list to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> these aren't guys who have like real obvious defining fights necessarily. They, they had lots of great performances and wins between them without necessarily those, those all timers that stand out from the others. So I will be curious what you come up with. I'm fully expecting our lists will not look identical on this one. Uh, and I'll just note that th- there's no requirement that each fighter be represented. Your, your list, gotcha. your list could be five fights from two fighters, or I guess five gotcha. fights from one fighter, although that seems highly unlikely to me. Uh, so there you have it. Top five Hall of Fame performances from among the three new Hall of Famers. It's going to be a very long honorable mention list because all three <laughs> of these guys have had several very good, exciting fights. Yeah. So yeah, you'll have yeah. to, you'll sort of have find that cutoff line of the, you know, whatever makes your top five and then the ones yeah. that were really close to making it and uh, perhaps leave off from even your honorable mentions, some other good wins for, for each of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a fun one because yes, like you said, it's, it's on the one hand, it's not a lot of research, but it's a lot of ordering and thinking yes. and, and uh, yes, that'll be a, that'll be a fun one. Okay. All right. Well, you're 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 fully past COVID now, so uh, it's time for you to do some thinking again, Kieran. (laughs) Ah, yes, indeed. Apparently, I'm very good at spur of the moment guessing, if not thinking. That's that's what I was about to say. It was it wasn't maybe it wasn't even thinking. Maybe you're just maybe you were you just had good luck with COVID. Uh, Well, not really, because you caught COVID. (laughs) So that's not good. No, that's not it. But yes, you're a good lucky guesser when you have COVID. uh, But you weren't actually uh, any smarter, maybe it turns out. I got my wordle in two today. Oh, maybe I'm still a lucky guesser. All right. I got I got a three, which I felt pretty good about. But uh, no, not as good as a two. Yeah. Very good. What? Well done. Very good. Three is not as good as two. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I see. You're all right. It is indeed not. Yes, two is better than is the, three. Is the which of us is cleverer without COVID? And the answer is neither of us. That's right. So there you go. <laughs> Everyone listening is like, wrap it up, boys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If they're even listening, still, uh, look, that will do it. You'll be pleased to know for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We'll be back next week to recap the Vargas Foster show and to preview the following week's Showbox card. Until then. Thank you very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.